Hello, friends. Welcome to Medicine Stories. I am your host, Amber Magnolia Hill, here for episode nine. Uh, today, I'll be sharing my interview with Ariella Daly. Ari is a beekeeper, musician, and storyteller. She's also a friend of mine here in Nevada City. She doesn't live here anymore, but she did. She grew up here, and we met soon after I moved here. She teaches natural beekeeping, dream work, and women's workshops, utilizing European shamanic practices. A student of the Path of Pollen, she has studied honeybee shamanism and the way of the Melissae for the past eight years in the United Kingdom. Ari developed an interest in earth-centered traditions at an early age, and we talk about that evolution here, which led her to study the myth and folk wisdom of her Celtic ancestry. As a result, she has over 25 years experience designing, leading, and participating in Celtic and earth-based practices and ceremony. What I really love about Ari and what is what has kept us in one another's orbit through the years and through living in different places now is that she's really someone who pays attention, listens to the mythos and magic of her inner calling, follows the threads of her curiosity, and and therefore invites synchronicity and meaningful happenings into her life. I, I've loved watching her work and her life unfold over the past decade or so. And in this interview, we talk about how the tales her father who's a very bardic character, told her as a child and how they planted a seed that started Ari following the mythic threads of her Celtic ancestry a decade later and inspired many pilgrimages to her ancestral countries. Reclaiming the lost indigenous and women's wisdom from your line, how our animal bodies recognize our ancestral homelands, the devastating miscarriage that Ari went through and the lessons and healings that followed including how her daughter brought the bees into her life and how our biggest traumas are what we weave our gold out of. We talk about the folklore and magic of place and Ari tells an incredible story. You'll hear it. I'm not even going to hint at it. You can read it in the show notes or or just listen on for a true uh, glimpse into the other world. We talk about raven meaning and medicine and the spontaneous heart-opening healing that she received while at a concert listening to the music of one of our shared favorite musicians. She says, the piece of me that left came back in during that experience. So Ari also recorded a separate conversation with me for my Patreon supporters, and this one is all about dream work. Ari has a deep dream work practice. She teaches dream work. She's always been super helpful for me when I want to reflect a dream off of her. And so in this, it's about 25 minute piece that you can find at patreon.com slash medicine stories if you would like. It is available to patrons at the $2 level. So we talk about how dreams are more than just your imagination Uh, dream mirroring and listening to dreams from the womb, how dreams have inspired Ari's work in the waking world. I talk about my experiences reading my old dream journals and how grateful I am that I have been writing my dreams down for as long as I have, Uh, realizing that you've been guiding yourself all along. 
Ari offers some tips for dream work for busy and sleep-deprived folks. All the mamas say yeah. And we talk about how dream lessons are not static. They evolve as we evolve, and there are multitudes of meaning. Uh, And Ari talks about the both and framework when it comes to, you know, quote, interpreting or let's say understanding and gleaning wisdom from your dreams. So I'm as a part of this, I'm thinking I'm going to give away a bottle of my bedtime bear herbal sleep and dream elixir. It's maybe my favorite herbal medicine that I've ever made. I love the taste. I love the feel. I love the dreams that it's provided. I've gotten incredible feedback from people. If I'd planned this out better, I would have had a quote ready to read you. But in one week last month, I got three messages from people saying that using my elixir, after using this elixir, they dreamt of an ancestor of theirs, which is so beautiful. So I think what I'll do, I'm recording this today on my birthday, February 8th. I think I will close this giveaway on my mom's birthday, March 10th. And it's it's going to be open. I'll give away two bottles to two people. And it'll just be for anyone who's a Patreon supporter. Anyone who's a supporter on Patreon by March 10th will be entered to win a bottle of this medicine. And you can be supporting at the lowest level, that $2 level, which is kind of the raddest level because you get access to all the best stuff. I mean, the higher levels have their own perks as well, but... As far as um, extra conversations and goodies from my guests, I always put those at the $2 level. Uh, You can see what else is available at the higher levels at patreon.com slash medicine stories. And thank you so much for everyone who's there already. It's incredible how many people um, are supporting this podcast. Thank you. It feels so good. I love it. And I love you. So I wanted to tell a little story. A little story about something that happened to me yesterday because it is also related to this podcast. So I had to run some errands. Um, We just became an LLC, Mythic Medicine LLC, for, for just everything I'm doing under the umbrella of Mythic Medicine, mostly the herbal medicines that we send off to people. And you have to file a fictitious name business at the government office, which I had done, and then go to the newspaper because for reasons I don't understand, the newspaper runs, you know, a little piece saying, I don't know, Mythic Medicine LLC is a thing that Amber Hill did. So I was there for about five minutes talking to this woman, filling out the papers, paying $116, to run this in the newspaper. And we, me and this woman got so deep so quickly in those five minutes. Like she told me about her children, how she's a foster mom. You know, we talked about how difficult that can be. We talked about my daughters and ended up talking about my mom and her death. And it was just so meaningful. We both kind of had like tears in our eyes at the end and like held hands. And we're like, okay, well, you know, it was so nice to talk to you. And, and I said to her right as we were saying goodbye, I was like, you know, tomorrow's my birthday and my mom died in a car accident a little over two years ago and we were incredibly close and I've just been feeling so sad all week, just having huge, huge waves of grief come up and 
somehow this birthday feels harder than the last two years without her on my birthday. And but talking to you here today, I I just realized like mom was just like this. She would meet someone at the grocery store and and get to know their whole life story. Like my sister and I both have memories of her of being in the grocery store with her as kids and us like literally crying and trying to drag her away from people and be like, can we leave now? <laughs> like it's time to go home. But she was just like growing down with the stranger in the produce aisle. And I mean, there were many times where she'd be on the phone for like an hour or two and we'd be like, mom, you know, need you for whatever reason, feed me or something. And she'd hang up the phone and we'd be like, who was that? She's like, oh, it was a wrong number. (laughs) But it was this woman. And when she was a kid, you know, she'd know like their whole life story. And that just, that happened to her so often. She would just get so deep with people right away. So I was realizing this while I was talking to this woman, like, I'm doing what mom used to do. So I, I told this woman that, and she was like, and I told her how sad I had been this week and stuff. And she said, oh, it feels like maybe that's your mom's birthday gift to you this year is um, helping you to realize that that you're you're just like her and that you are like embodying this um i don't know talent this this thing that she had where she could really get to know people on a deep level very quickly and then and then move on maybe like i'm probably never going to see the newspaper lady again but that just felt so immediately meaningful to me here, still at the outset of the podcast. You know, this is nine episodes in. I'm finding my groove. Seems to be working pretty well. But that is what I'm doing is just trying to get right to the heart of people's stories. And and now that I have this as part of my story, that this is like an ancestral um, strength of mine, maybe I can say this is something, a gift that my mom gave me. And I'm realizing it right now on my birthday. It it just feels really meaningful. And I'm very grateful to the lady at the newspaper for giving me the gift of pointing out my mother's gift and grateful to you guys who want to hear these kind of stories from people that I think so many of us, like I even struggled. Should I share this story? Is anyone going to think this is interesting? (laughs) Like, are they going to roll their eyes at me? But this is why you're here, right? This is this is what this podcast is all about. So thank you for being here. And let's do a little um, herb learning. Herb learning again. I was calling this herbal tips in the last couple episodes, but I never wanted that to be the name. So herb learning. I wanted to talk today briefly about dosage. (sighs) Dosage is hard for herbalists. Um, I think I think maybe even some herbalists don't realize this or don't feel the same way, but people who are new to the plant healing world or or have no experience at all, you know, tend to want to be like, well, what's the dosage? How much should I take? Because this is what we're used to from prescription medicine, right? Or over-the-counter medicine, like exact dosage recommendations. But the the truth about herbal medicine is that dosage is an art form and it's imprecise and it really is going to be different. Like your medicine that you harvest at one time of the year is going to be stronger than if you harvest it at another time of year. Um, Your body is going to respond to something differently than someone else's body would. So I, 
I always feel really challenged, like FDA regulations, you have to put dosage on on the bottle. And I always do, but I'm like, I'm kind of just making this up. Like, obviously I'm not making it up. It is based on experience and other people's recommendations and what I know about how the plant works. But I guess what I want to impart is that dosage is an imprecise art and you don't need an expert's opinion if you're taking safe herbal medicines, which they almost all are. Um, you know, there's so much fear mongering in, <laughs> in our culture when it comes to plants, which is insane because pharmaceutical drugs are so much more dangerous. Uh, I was just reading properly prescribed and properly taken pharmaceutical drugs are the fourth leading cause of death in America. Can you imagine if that was true about herbal medicine, people would lose their freaking minds. And how many deaths do you know uh, that came because of taking herbal medicine? I don't know of any. I know they've happened, of course. Plants kill people if they're being careless, but there are so few actually poisonous plants. It is so hard to overdose on medicinal plants. So keep that in mind when you're taking an herbal medicine, like really get to know the plants in it, do as much research as you can, and feel how they feel when you take them. And start out by taking the recommended dose, and then you can experiment. You can see, do you need a little more or do you need a little less? Um, So I just want to give you a little wiggle room there. If you're really being conscious, really being conscientious, then you don't have to take the dosage as recommended on bottles of herbal medicine. Um, Do your research you know, due diligence, best practices, all that. But you are your own experts. What we talked about in the last episode with Stephen Harrod Buner, like empower yourself. And it's it's a path. You'll learn. You'll learn as you go. Um, I wanted also to tell you really quickly before we get into this interview, in case you haven't taken it yet, I have a really fun quiz that I created called Which Magical Herb is Your Spirit Plant? And so, yeah, it's kind of like a flashy, catchy title. You know, I wanted it to capture people's attention. And the quiz itself is pretty fun and lighthearted. I think it's 10 questions, eight or 10 questions. But the results are really in-depth. Like, it took me all last summer to put this quiz together because I spent so much time writing out the quiz results. It's not just like, your plan is this. Bye. It's, you know... um, very, very long blog posts on on my website that explain exactly what the medicine of that plant is and how it can come into your life and help you. And I didn't even follow a formula with each of these result answers. Like each one of those blog posts that talk about this this plant are really different from each other. They're written in different ways. They focus on different aspects of the plant's medicine. And that's because each one of the plants like came through with a different resonance that is in resonance with you if that is the the plant spirit that comes through when you do the quiz so you can find the quiz at my website mythicmedicine.love it's right there on the front page and it's um when you get to the end it will ask you for your email address you you do need to input that in order to get your results so i just want to warn you like 99% of people are happy to do that but there's always the 1% who's like what you spamming me and no i'm not i'm not spamming you and if you want to then unsubscribe from from my newsletter you can do that um 
but I don't send out newsletters all that often because I don't got the time. It's really hard to find the time to do it. Um, but you know, if you like what I'm doing, you'll probably like my newsletter. So take the quiz. It's super fun. And you can comment, you know, if you follow me on Instagram at mythic medicine, or if you're in the Facebook group for medicine stories, let me know what your uh, results were. It's really fun. Okay, so this interview with Ari, I just wanted to interject really quickly here that in the beginning, she talks a little bit about her birth and how her name came out of her birth. It's a really beautiful story, but she had a home birth and it didn't go as well as her parents had hoped. And I asked her if they had home births with their subsequent daughters and they didn't, uh, which is what I thought she'd say. But I just, I I don't want to give the impression. I do not want in any way in my life to ever add to the impression that home birth is dangerous because it's not. And uh, this is like the intro in my last um, episode with Stephen Buhner. There's so much to say about birth and that's not exactly what I want to focus on here. But, you know, maternal mortality rates are incredibly high in America and it's hospital births not home births. Um, There's so much more to say, but if you're interested in home birth, if you would like to read some really positive, beautiful home birth stories, then you can check out my blog at mythicmedicine.love. I've got the stories of both of my daughter's home births 10 years apart. The first one was actually an unassisted birth also. So photos and all sorts of um, birth resources in the second post, the most recent one from my 17-month-old's birth um, two years ago now, or it's 2018 now, so in 2016. Those those are there, mythicmedicine.love slash blog. Okay, let's get into the interview with Ari. I love this. I love what she has to say. Please forgive. The, the sound is kind of bad. I had to I had to um, record this in a different way than I usually do. It's not too bad, but it's a little different. And thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Ari, for talking to me. Let's tune in to the magic of Ariella Daily. Okay. Hi, Ariella. Hi. Hi, welcome. Um, so you are Ariella online and in real life, but I've known you for a while and I tend to call you Ari. Is that okay? Of course. Okay, Ari. So um, I'm so glad that you're here. It's really fun to talk to someone who I find to be so, so wise, so eloquent, so really deeply embodying um, the path that she's walking. And you've been a friend of mine for almost 10 years now and it just um I'm feeling like I don't know kind of just juicy having a a conversation with a really close friend right now so thank you for doing this thank you that was such a sweet little descriptor I appreciate it yeah um so I just would like to start by asking you to tell us about your name your names your given names, maybe any other names you've taken on or anything, but um, especially Ariella Daly and what those names mean to you. Absolutely. Yeah. So my full name is Ariella Jane Daly and um, the Daly's, my father's side of the family, very Irish. So the O'Daly's came from 
the high kings of Ireland, not the kings themselves, but the bards to the kings. So daily, the dailies were a line of bards or, um, so if you don't know what a bard is, it's, it's the old, uh, particularly in the Druidic order, old storytellers and musicians. And it was a very highly regarded position. Uh, so I love that, you know, my life has I grew up as a musician. I'm a songwriter and I always just loved, I didn't find that out until a few years ago and just loved the idea of, wow, we used to, there's a heritage and a long history here. That's with, amazing. I know. <laughs> um, and then my first name, so my, my parents, I was born at, at home uh, with a midwife. My parents decided not to find out whether I was a boy or a girl until I was born. So they were out celebrating two weeks before I was due. My mother had just finished, uh, she's a teacher, she had just finished her last day of classes before going on leave. And they went out with a Swiss and Israeli couple. And they were out to dinner talking about how they were either going to name me Lindsay or Sean, if I was a boy, good Irish name. And the couple suggested, had, I, had they ever considered the name Ariella? And my mother had known a little girl named Ariella when she was teaching in Peru and said, wow, I really love that name. That, that's a beautiful name. And they got up and walked out of the restaurant and her water broke. <laughs> so <laughs> she figured I had agreed and <laughs> wanted her to know that that's the name. Um, and I actually had a really traumatic birth. I almost died. Um but I came through with this very strong name. The name means Lioness of God. Um, I, I believe Ariella is a French version of that, but Lioness of God. I thought as a child it meant Goddess of the Lions. I would get them confused, which I think is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a dream the other night about standing down a male lion. Um, so it's definitely in my psyche, that fierceness and that powerful kind of like, um, yeah, the power of the lion and the lioness and what it takes to me at this point, the name means like what it takes to be in some ways a defender of the earth kingdom. Like to, to be this fierce woman who is standing up for the animals because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And like the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where that came from. Um, and I've, I've just always loved names. Etymology is so interesting. I go by Ari for short and really like that it's a name that's interchangeable, masculine, feminine. It can be either or. So I've, I've always enjoyed that. Um, that my name, the full name is very feminine, but what people call me, I've mostly just met Aries who are boys. So there's something about that that's kind of fun to me. Mm -hmm. It's so um, pretty too, Ari. I really like saying that word. Thank you. Um, so I'm just curious because I know you have two younger sisters. Did your parents have subsequent home births after, after yours was traumatic? No. No, they did not. So our, our midwife skipped town, big scandal, um, the, wow. the, right before I was born. And so the person who was assisting hadn't done her own birth before. She'd only been an assistant. Wow. Uh, and it came out with the, the cord wrapped around my shoulders and the blue and wasn't breathing and all the things. Um, so my mother uh, had two hospital births after that. And um, yeah, it just was, it was the right decision for her. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so I have a 
big question and I think there's just like so many layers to this for you so answer it however you please go off as far as you want to answering this question uh, you're a seasoned ancestral wanderer with a very deep pull towards your Celtic heritage and you've been a practicing witch since age 15 and traveled alone to Scotland at age 17 in order to experience your ancestral homeland can you tell us about this trip, what drew you there at such a young age, and how this all connects you to your great-great-grandmother, Jessie Buchanan? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Like, <laughs> Let's see where we're going to go. So I don't know where we're going to go. This is going to be interesting. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, what actually springs to mind is the art of storytelling, and I had this so 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 special thing as a child um my father would tell stories all the time most nights maybe it was like once a week but in my head it was every night he would gather his three daughters we'd all crawl into a bed together and he would tell us tales um about the three princesses and their various adventures and rescuing you know everything from animals to princes to each other and we had a unicorn that would fly us around but what <laughs> so, I realized so the bard o'daly basically the bard o'daly mm -hmm. it was a thing it was real <laughs> but he just made them up and uh, i didn't know how unique and fantastical and special that was um, until i got older and realized that just making up a story on the spot isn't the easiest thing in the world mm -hmm. And he wove in so much mythos and what I realize now would be a lot of the Celtic stories. And I became fascinated with Celtic stories at a very, very young age. Uh, there is such a rich tradition of storytelling in the Celtic culture from in Ireland and Scotland. And um, it was also, so, so that led me into wanting to learn about um, the, the traditions of those lands. So that was one vein. And the other vein was that I really wanted to understand uh, plants and how to work with plants. And so I started to do research on herbalism. And by looking into both things, they brought me into an understanding of, kind of um, I would say, like the New Age, pagan, Celtic, witchy stuff. <laughs> so that's what, you know, that's what landed at 15, 16 was discovering that there's actually people out there that followed the moon cycles and people out there that used plants for healing and for other purposes and, you know, making my own mugwort pillows for dreaming and all that sort of stuff um, and discovering. And it's interesting that, you know, you work with plants, but discovering that a lot of the plants that really spoke to me didn't grow here, um, that they were over in England and Ireland and I started to want to know about that land and that landscape more, particularly um, a tree, a specific tree that now I know grows on the, I know does grow here in the States, but at that time I thought it only grew over there and that was the Rowan tree. Um, when I was 15, I had a spirit come to me and introduce itself as my daughter, Rowan, and wanted me to know that 
and she was around and that she would come through eventually. And so throughout my teens, she'd like check back in. I feel this like up to my left, this little spirit. I'm like, hey, I'm like, yeah, I'm 16. This like, not now. <laughs> like, oh, I'm 19. Still very young. Please, please give me some time. <laughs> so I was negotiating with her, particularly once I fell in love like, when I was, I had like epic love when I was in my uh late teens and early 20s and I'd be like uh-uh this is like this is for me mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my time um so I went a part of what drew me over to Scotland was the rowan tree and I I've never told the story that way but that's what came out today and that's a big piece of it also um castles like mm-hmm. period you know <laughs> and because um because I knew I had family heritage there. So my father on the Irish side had um, two great aunts and they spent the latter half of their lives tracking down the genealogy of my father's side of the family. Wow. Like, I wish I had knew these, known these women. They, they have, have these big thick volumes of family history and, um, you know, discovered that through them that we're related to, uh, the Lees, uh, on the, like, like through the civil war, that Lee family traced back all the way to Lancelot Lee from the battle of Hastings, uh, who came over from Normandy. And so that was this like very, very rich history. I was just listening to your podcast earlier uh, with Asia and found out that Lee, L-E-E, means of the meadows and fields, which was such a delightful thing to discover because she was talking about her name. Um, and I just, as, as like beekeeper, I'm like, oh, yay. my, my like, family history is of the meadows and the fields. So there's that. And I really wanted to go to Ireland. Um but my mother's side of the family had less information and still do have much less information. All I really had in terms of like a solid ancestor that I could trace back to was this woman named Jessie Buchanan, who had left Glasgow at 18 years old by herself for America to find a new life. And from what I understand, she was very kind of like fierce and strong-willed and proper, very proper. She she left with a small Bible that was given to her by the nuns that, I guess, at her school, and it had a little inscription. And we had that growing up. And as a kid who was fascinated with very old things, like any any old books were like treasure troves for me. So I was able to, it, it was wrapped in this beautiful old ribbon and passed down through the family. And she just became this enigmatic, fascinating woman. And the Buchanan's became very interesting to me. And I was invited to go on a school band trip over to England and when I was 17. And we, we did that. The school band went to England and played with little concerts and whatnot <laughs> and um and then I got permission my parents had to go in and wrestle with the principal to let me do this but I got permission to leave from England and go north into Scotland for four weeks by myself and my first stop and my like one like major destination was uh, where the Buchanans lived. Uh, I got to stay. My first major youth hostel experience was literally a castle on the banks of Loch Lomond. 
Like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I went to Scotland and I, I traveled um, up and down through all the way up to Skye and went out to the fairy country out on the Isle of Skye. And um, it was incredibly exciting and incredibly lonely uh, at the same time. I had never been away from my parents that long. Mm-hmm. And it started years and years of travel. Um, and one place that I, I went to uh, became one of my kind of soul home places, not in Scotland of all places, but in England. I went to Avalon or the Isle of Glass or the Isle of Apples, today known as Glastonbury. And I walked up to the top of this hill that's supposed to be the entrance to the other world and the entrance to Avalon, which, of course, if you don't know, Avalon is um, famous Isle of Women, Isle of Apples, like the the fairy realm in some ways where Morgan Le Fay lives and she is a sister to King Arthur and she receives him back when he dies and takes him to Avalon where he can be healed and become the once and future king. So there's the, the myth of regeneration and resurrection it's tied to these priestesses of the land so I went to this place climbed the hill got to the top and this man was up there giving a little tour or talking about the tour giving explanations of it and I was just listening and afterwards he approached me he's like you know and he said you know some people do hear the king under the hill and I said what do you mean he's like well the fairy king under the hill and I'm like you guys actually believe in that? He's like, of course, we've heard him and some of us have seen him. And then he looked at me and gave me one of those like out of the myths, knowing looks. He's like, and you will too, just not yet, but someday it will happen. <laughs> it's like, hooked now, I'm in. Like, maybe he was a magic crazy guy, I don't know, but I was like, all right. Like, I just walked into a myth, and I'm 17, and I completely ate it, like, hook, line, and sinker. And, mm-hmm. and then, of course, had incredible mystical experiences there throughout the rest of my life. So, <laughs> um, there you go. There's kind of a story about ancestry, and wow. there's a lot more to it, but, yeah. Um, I'm curious, you shared with me that your um, your DNA shows 98% the Great Britain. So, oh, clearly... <laughs> That's like all that you are and from both sides of your family. So was this all explicitly talked about as you were growing up, like the Celtic heritage? Was it something either of your parents were really interested in also? No, no. My dad was always interested in genealogy. Um, No, I was raised with a lot of exposure to different cultures and I feel so lucky for that. But no, that became an interest of my own and a big interest of both of my sisters. We're all really keen on that. And um, I think that there's a, I'm sure you relate to this, a resonance. You know, we, we, we are, you know, the, the Irish and the Scottish in many ways are displaced people too. And it's one of those, you know, if you go far enough back in any, in any European history, in any peoples, there's this, there's displacement and loss of the indigenous wisdom and the wisdom of women. And some of that got preserved through Celtic myth, legend, and music. And so there was just like this inkling, this thread that I could pull at and tease out that said there's there's something older here. Like, you're not just this homogenized white chick living in, a, in this tiny white town in Northern California. 
there's there's more depth there. You're not you're not just this woman that's part of an oppressive race. Like like what else is out there? Um, because growing up in a very small white town, like you really become aware of privilege and uh, lack of diversity and et cetera, et cetera. We come from similar places, so maybe that resonates for you. And um, and yet at the same time, I mean, like, well, well, but what is like? Like for me, growing up, the word indigenous felt always like, well, that that word could never belong to me. And then to discover that actually, yet yeah, there is indigenous wisdom. If I go far enough back, wisdom of the earth, wisdom of the people in my in my blood. Like I can connect to this through the people of the land, the women who knew the plants. Again, back to the plants. <laughs> like, you know, the the women who, and it men too, but it was always that line of of the women. And so when I would go to these places and I still go back to England all the time, it's like a big sigh happens in my cells. I feel home in a way that I don't know how to describe. And I'm sure many people have had that experience um, with pieces of the earth, but particularly in England and Scotland, I, I did go to Ireland. I spent six months living there, but England and Scotland, I feel resonance and you know, there's such grief sometimes feeling dis- displaced feeling like you're just in this big soup of like like where is where is the land uh, that is the land of my people um, i think that's a true true sadness for many people mm-hmm. and it's a, obviously a horrible sadness in our in what we've done what what happened here in the united states with the people who are native to this land um, so i didn't give myself permission to even feel it like that grief until i was in my twenties and really started to understand what was happening when I would go to England and, um, connect, reconnect to the ancestry. Mm. I, um, long for that. I, I envy your experiences and it is very much on my to-do list when my toddler is older to escape <laughs> to Scotland for a while and to connect with that land and um, you know maybe do a little genealogy research as well while I'm there find out the things that I'm not able to find out from over here you know even though I took the leap and paid for the international ancestry subscription there's <laughs> there's so much more to to know both intellectually and um, you know through my body through just being on the land Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something that happens to the body of resonance that, you know, you have to remember that we're all animals and our animal sense, our, our DNA, something recognizes place and it, it, it's powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A friend recently visited Scotland and shared photos and I was just like, I can't even describe how it made me feel to be looking at them. And how much I longed to be there. So it's uh, it's inspiring to me that you have really made it a priority in your life. You have gone back again and again and um, and prioritized that ancestral connection with the land, and that's that's beautiful. Thank you for that inspiration. Um. Okay, you ready for another big question? <laughs> Always keep them coming. <laughs> I'm like looking at all these. I'm like these are all like that first one. Um. So you have always wanted to be a mama and you had a life-changing miscarriage seven years ago, I believe. 
And I know there are many layers and threads to this story, but I'm going to read to you something that you wrote to me while we were preparing for this interview and ask you to expand from there. And again, feel free to expand in any direction you want because there's a lot here. You wrote, when I miscarried, this same spirit came to me as I was being wheeled into surgery and said, do not be confused by this experience. Everything is in its right timing. Trust. I was then given the most profound vision of my life, a vision of myself as a priestess in ancient Greece giving birth. I buried my placenta under an empty hive and three days later caught my first swarm and became a bee mama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, I've talked about this before. Uh, it's not news to people who've read any of my blogs, but you know, I think often our some of our biggest traumas become the the what we weave the gold out of in our life, and um, that grief is still present. Um, I still want to become a mother, mm -hmm. and uh she's no longer with me so that spirit rowan uh she came in and uh, she brought me to the bees so uh, absolutely i i did have a very transformative experience um but it's deeper than that because it she showed me something that i didn't i didn't know what it was in that vision until later i'll, I'll get to that in a second um that spirit, like I said, came came back really, really strong <laughs> in May 2010, and was said she she was coming. And I said, "All right, oh, I'll go go find the father because I'm single." <laughs> Two weeks later, I met the um, person that I would conceive with, and we weren't ready to have a child. And that I had kind of forgotten about that, and was like just falling in love, and you know, it wasn't like top priority or anything. Um, but then I, uh, on the solstice, I was doing my solstice ceremony and she came in again and he was planning on going to travel internationally and be gone for many, many months. And so we were kind of having this whirlwind love affair before he left. Um, and I said, she came in and I and told me she was coming and I said, she told me by February 2nd, so by in bulk. And I told him, which is again, a Celtic holiday. Um, I told him like, uh, by the way you have to leave the country by February 2nd because if if you don't want, like this is happening. <laughs> if you don't leave, like she's very clear. She, and, and I got pregnant February 3rd, uh, accidentally kind of, obviously like um, we didn't mean to get pregnant in mm -hmm. that day, but we did. And it was, um, I, I didn't know that I was pregnant, obviously uh, three weeks later, um, I found out through someone else's dream. I had a friend. I woke up with a start and just knew that this one friend had um, had to tell me something, that she knew something. I drove into town, got a hold of her. She told me I was pregnant. I went and got a test. Sure it was because the spirit of that child had come to her as a little girl to tell her to tell me. So this spirit was strong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and you guys were listening too. We were listening, yeah. She was very amazing very strong-willed and she came she came through strong I, I um, had a lot of beautiful experiences while I was pregnant I was 11 weeks when I miscarried and <clears throat> I was up in my room meditating and asked her just before I started to miscarry I asked her who are you really who are you are you 
And she said, um, Oracle. And it was like this pound, like giant brain like pounding sound. It was very intense. It was like almost like hearing a voice outside of my head. And the second she said that, I felt blood start mm. and I started to bleed. And I had all sorts of like panic and denial and didn't mm. think I was miscarrying and blah, 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 and went to the hospital and they thought it was uptopic and they were going to take out one of my fallopian tubes and I had to fight for another, you know, scan and it was just very traumatic wasn't eptopic. It's just a quote unquote non-viable pregnancy. So by the time I I was wheeled into surgery, I was, you know, in a pretty altered state, but it was very clear. Um, and she came through very strong, same voice saying that don't do not be confused by this experience. I remember it so clearly. There were roses as they were wheeling me down the hall when she came through. I could see roses out the window with fresh snow on them. It had started snowing. It was April eleventh or twelfth. And then as I was coming out of, um, you know, out of surgery, um, coming to, I saw this vision of myself in a giving birth in ancient Greece. And this was before I knew about the priestesshoods, before I knew um, anything about, well, parthenogenesis. And so I... I um, What's that? I'm, ba- I'm about to tell you. It's okay. pretty badass. In the dream, sorry, in the vision, because um, it wasn't a dream, it was very, I was very cognizant. Uh, she was the midwife and the priestess that, and I had just completed this very challenging experience, which was to conceive a child without a man. And I had done that, and I was giving birth to that child. And it was like um, considered like a, a very like high level thing to have done. Um, in this priestesshood, and there were women walking, and they were walking on crushed herbs um, while I was giving birth, and there was this really heady scent of of these crushed herbs as they were walking, and it was just a very beautiful experience, and she was so loving. It was so interesting to have see her in this other role, and and I uh, ended up signing up for a year later um, for something called the Arte um, program in with through within the path of pollen in England, which is a year long program. And you go to England three times and you study um, the three different sisterhoods within this shamanic tradition, the path of pollen, the sisterhood of the Fae, the sisterhood of the spinners and the sisterhood of the wise maidens. And there's these bodies of wisdom passed down, um, very feminine in their uh, nature, very gynocentric. Um, I had had so much grief. I had extreme postpartum depression. I didn't know it was postpartum depression. I was very anemic. I had what felt like a like a dead womb, and I just couldn't get enough iron into my body. The doctors said I wasn't anemic. Uh, my like, but I definitely was acting anemic. I couldn't. I was like pale and white. And mm-hmm. I remember, so and you were really sad too. You I know, was, was devastated. Major, yeah. major trauma for you. Yeah, it was so hard to get past, like, the knowledge of, like, yes, I came through for a little while, trust this, like, the the, the child, the, the presence, like, quote-unquote, spiritually or energetically, I got it. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you needed to be embodied for that short amount of time. Like, bless you, thank you, you brought me the bees. Like, all of that, I understood it, I understood, but we are 
embodied and my body was grieving and my heart was grieving and I wanted that child and I missed her so much because she'd always been outside me mm-hmm. and she came into me and it was like having an old friend finally like you could touch them finally that's what it felt like being pregnant with her she was with me always and it was the most exquisite love I've ever experienced in my life mm-hmm. I'm still, still sad about it mm-hmm. but what was amazing was going to this program and and it was all it's all gynocentric shamanic work with the, the melissa work the bee work it's bee priestess work and so here i find this long lineage of actual bee priestesses that that does go back to ancient Greece where there were priestesshoods of women called Melissae who were the oracles, who were the Pythias at Delphi, who gave prophecy, who were part of like basically secret priestess cults, who practiced parthenogenesis, which is, and this is what I found out in, in that program, parthenogenesis is virgin birth. Mm-hmm. So there is an actual like historical documentation of priestesshoods that were believed to have practiced virgin birth. They don't know scientifically what that meant, but it was definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was just really, it was, it was basically like I went to England to heal my womb mm-hmm. and I did. It, I got, it, I got my creativity back. I got music back. I had lost all creativity, all music. I couldn't go near a piano. I couldn't sing. And I got it back through doing deep ancestral shamanic work in England. You mentioned uh, earlier Glastonbury. Mm-hmm. And when we were pre- preparing for this interview, you, you mentioned a, uh, an experience that you had up there while making a star essence. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm, I'm very curious to hear <laughs> this whole story. It actually fits right in. It's yeah. Like the- <laughs> um, yeah. So these are things that I always used to not share. These are not things I've talked about publicly, like that vision or the story. Um, I felt like, oh, it's too profound. I need to keep it to myself. Only certain really close friends can know. And I made a really active decision not to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to really be open with my stories. And um, so the, first component of that training uh, was with the Sisterhood of the Spinners. So think um, weavers, the distaff path, the, the, the woman's path, or often called the, you know, the left-handed path or the distaff path or the, the spinsters, the spinners, the fates, weaving and unweaving, um, that type of energy. So we were working with that and Working with the spinners in that in that way for that for a week um, is pretty unraveling, and I was experiencing a lot of grief, and left that training kind of at my lowest of lows, and um, it had been very profound. But something had happened where it was like I was on a precipice, and the precipice was like either you're gonna hold onto this grief for the rest of your life. Um, and and probably die, <laughs> or or you're gonna make the leap and decide to get over it and move on and let her go, let that baby go. And I wasn't quite ready to do that, so I went. We went to Glastonbury, me and a girlfriend who had been in the training, and we were being pixie-ish and fun, and you know, like, ooh, it's it's the Isle of Avalon, and and we were staying at the chalice 
like right below Chalice Hill, and you're not supposed to go up on Chalice Hill, which is considered to be the the womb of the goddess in the landscape. It's considered to be a big pregnant belly. And we're like, you know what? We're gonna go up there, and we're gonna make an essence at midnight. And it was this like there's big star alignment that night. We're gonna do this. And we go up there, and I'm sitting on this hill, and Glastonbury is kind of famous for lots of like people getting lost and weird things happening and being a, veil, a place where the veil between the worlds is thin. So in Celtic mythology, there's this world and the other world, and it's separated by a, th- a thin veil, so to speak. And that veil is thinnest times like Mayday and Samhain or Halloween, when the spirits can come through. And Halloween tends to be the time, or Samhain, the time of the ancestors, and spring Mayday, Beltane, tends to be the time of the Fae. Um, but particularly Glastonbury is very connected to the fae or the fairies or the other people, the good folk, quite other energies. Um, And we were up there and we weren't talking uh, very much. We are making this essence and doing our prayers and it was a clear night. Um, And I look up and on top, right, right in front of us, is this beautiful outline of the Tor, the big hill that I'd talked about at the beginning where I'd heard about the fairy king so supposedly under the tour is the glass castle the kingdom of the fae they li- that's where they come from and that's where they live in that part of the land and it used to have on top of it a stone circle but that um, got knocked down by christianity basically and, and a tower was put up instead a church tower so it still stands this tower it's also a place where ley lines cross, the Michael and the Mary lines, so it's a very potent spot energetically. And I look up, and the, the tower is gone. I cannot see it. Um, and so I like literally do the thing where I like rub my eyes, and I like focus on it, and like it's, it's just got to be, like there's no mist. Where's the mist? It must be <laughs> mist. I look everywhere for mist. I look low. No mist. I look at it again. Still not there. I notify my friend. She turns around. She can't see it either. It's actually gone. And I just stare at that spot, willing the cast the tower to come back until it fades back into view. Like literally had to will it into being and then I could see it again. And then I would like look down and do like more stuff with our essence and our little ceremony and I'd look up it'd be gone again. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Was, oh gosh, I probably shouldn't do that on your podcast. No, Sorry. you can do that every <laughs> I, I check the explicit box for each yeah. <laughs> So here I am being like, I wanna believe in fairies and the magical realms and I hope I see magical mm. things and then it happens and I was like, nah no 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 I'm definitely losing my mind. This is what's happening okay cool so it's got to be missed still looking for missed no missed it's literally starry skies vanishing in front of my eyes and then i become aware that i am surrounded on all sides by beings i don't see things very often with my eyes i don't but it was one of those like people talk about this like out of the corner of my eyes a circle mm. and dogs like big wolf dogs mm. everywhere and i just it freaked me out, man. <laughs> I was like, what? this is real. Oh my gosh. And I talked to like, you know, I kind of looked up at her or my friend and she was like, yeah, no, I feel that they're here too. And we, we need to get off of, I don't think we're supposed to be up here. We, we need to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we started like, they're like, just, let's just not talk. Let's just get out of here. And so we, we didn't, we were really freaked out. Um, like it's one thing to think about fairies and a whole nother thing to have, this feeling of 
like a hundred very tall, very otherworldly beings surrounding you. And I know I sound like a crazy lady on the podcast <laughs> right now, but this is what happened. And it was the spirit realm. It was something was going on. And the whole walk down back to where we were supposed to go, I was being given this offer. And I know this sounds so insane, but it was leave, come with us. Like you can leave now. You mm-hmm. can leave your body. Come with us. Come with us. It was one of the most chilling experiences I've ever had because it felt so real. Mm-hmm. Like come with us, come with us, come with us. And I made a very active decision to be in my body. And it was the it was like like I had my hands clenched and I just kept being like, I stay in my body. I want to stay in my body. I want to live. I want to choose this life. And I, I knew, and I don't know how to explain this. And I, again, like I'm, I just sound so crazy, but I knew in that moment that I was, that I was being given an exit. Like I didn't know what would have happened, but I knew that if, if I had said yes, I don't know, maybe I would have actually gone insane and I can, or slipped and hit my head on a rock. Mm-hmm. Like, there was something that was like, this is the line. You're at the line and you can leave your body. You can you can go with her. You can follow her. The, the Rowan and um mm-hmm. and I claimed life and it was not, it wasn't like a car accident moment. It wasn't anything. It was just this this really creepy <laughs> moment and it was, it was they weren't bad energies. It was just like Oh my God, when people talk about people stepping into the other world and coming back mad or not coming back at all or disappearing into the mist, mm-hmm. like all these stories, I get it. Like they're not just stories. Mm-hmm. They have place. And, and the fact that they're still happening in Glastonbury today, there's still stories about modern people disappearing. I got it. Like, mm-hmm. Right. There is something to this spirit realm that's beyond me. Like I was playing in the, in the big pool and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And, came back, got into bed, was so shaken. I was like, okay, I'm choosing life. Like I'm choosing human. I'm choosing body. I'm choosing woman. And, um, four in the morning, woke up to a cacophony of ravens at the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just hitting the window, crying at the window, banging against the window. So scary. Oh <laughs> um, and then got out of, you know, had to leave for the airport in the morning. Um, went out to the car rental and there was one dead raven at the foot of the driver's side. I was the driver. Mm -hmm. It was my car. And I got it. I was like, right, a life for a life. Like, Mm -hmm. this is it. This is, you couldn't get more Celtic than this. (laughs) Just like, right, I'm in the land of Morgan Le Fay. Her animal is the raven. She is the raven. I place, I felt the fae and the exchange is a raven here it is like oh the like creature of death like, uh, got it wow <laughs> sorry everybody oh. they're oh. like oh gosh that beekeeper girl is super weird never mind but, yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> i can it. i can imagine the the fae uh, underneath that hill being like oh ari's here Oh, Ari's yeah, Ari's here. Like she's one of us. We gotta go. We gotta get her. <laughs> and I and I get it. Like there is there's a long history of people engaging with the Fae, the other world. There, there is, is a reason you leave out, you know, milk certain nights and mm-hmm. you know, food other nights. So you leave the extra setting on certain holidays and you know, you appease the Fae because they're what they really are, what that energy really is, is the, the old energy of the land. Mm-hmm. And 
it's it's the earth it's it's the spirits of the earth that have melded into the land and i don't know what it what it i don't know what's real but i know that that it's it's they're the they're nature they're it um so maybe my mind created that and my friend's mind too because when we compared notes after a long walk we were seeing all the same things including the dogs but we hadn't told each other that so who knows <laughs> like oh you saw wolves too she's like yeah mhm like that's kind of random we sure didn't talk about wolves at all before this so uh-huh. oh, um yeah, yeah that the the lore of the other world and all of all of these things that you experienced is so rich in the celtic tradition it's it's impossible to ignore and it's impossible to think that it's just um made up and make believe and and fun you know yeah. i don't i don't know if you got to the point in the asia Suler episode where where we talk about the other world pretty mm-hmm. in depth but i'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on that and how how it how it relates with this and like you are a very fairy type human it's in your face it's in your body it's in your spirit and everything about you so it really um it just it makes sense to me i believe you ari and <laughs> i think that this raven piece is so fascinating i'm, I'm really glad you talked about that i was hoping you would um just uh, from i just love love ravens i like cannot every time i see one i'm like ah! like waving up my car as I drive by, like about to crash because I can't stop staring at it. And for me, they are just um, pure magic and exactly like a portal. They are like this portal space, this intermediary between realms, um, between here and the other world. And that's, that's how I think about them. I haven't really dove too much into raven lore because I've just kind of been trying to develop my own feelings about them but I know that that's out there and that dude that's crazy like how affirming was Mm -hmm. that of Mm -hmm. that experience that you had yeah it it was and you know when when I woke up to them calling and scratching at the window the the words that were in my head of at the what I was dreaming on repeat was the fairy host is at the window the fairy host is at the window Mm. the fairy host is at the window (laughs) And then years later, I end up in places like Dartmoor, you know, and and studying with with incredible wise women there, um, you know, women connected to the path of pollen as well, bee sisters, and you know, I, I remember driving around with with one of them, and she she just kept um, saluting ravens everywhere we went. And I was like, well, what are you, what are you doing? She's like, well, they're ravens. I was like, yeah. She's like you have to pay your respects. Mm. They're ravens. It, was, it wasn't like, it was like one of those like folk things, folk traditions, like you, everyone should know. You should know better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, it's really interesting to be in places like that where people who do live close to the earth, it's not, it's not this fantastical like, do you think the other world is real or do you think there might be the fae? They're like, well, of course there are. Mm-hmm. Like, what do, you, what do you mean do I think? Like, I experience it all on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's really fascinating to be around people that, that, that grew up with that folklore and it, it didn't die, it didn't get suppressed. I mean, it did get suppressed, but it, the thread stayed alive. And that closeness to the land, you know, for me, the ravens are, they're the messengers mm-hmm. between. Mm-hmm. And just like the bees, there are certain animals that go between, that are considered bridge, bridges between this world and the other world. 
uh, in folklore, bees were considered to be the, um, the, the, they brought the souls in and out of the body. Mm -hmm. And ravens, of course, are associated with bringing souls to the other world after death as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I just want to say, too, for people listening, like, this is magic. Magic is when you have followed the threads of your own soul calling for long enough or deep enough or with enough reverence and attention that all these synchronicities and like little shimmery portal opening experiences come to you and they are meaningful to you because of the time and attention and reverence that you have paid. You have followed the mythic threads of your soul's calling and experiences like this happen when you are walking that path. So knowing like the decades of work that you've put in to to following these mythic threads, like of course you had that kind of experience. And that's that's just beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, I hope I don't sound like a complete loon. But, I don't think so. But um <laughs> But it's funny because if someone else told me that story, I'd be like, yeah, you were you were working with the mythic imaginal realms. And for me, I don't at this point, I don't need to know what's quote unquote real or not. It's more about like, like as you just said, are you working the threads? Are you listening to the stories? Are you in touch with the earth wisdom? Uh, that's that's where it all comes from and comes back to is the, all of this is, you know, all of those ancestral threads that we connect to in the stories it's coming from people who had an understanding of the earth and a reverence for the earth that we are re relearning and you know rewilding ourselves as as yeah i don't know how else to say it but yeah yeah that's what i feel like it really is about yeah you're you're open to a dynamic responsive universe Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have experiences like the one that you had. Um, and that's not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because last night when I was tucking my Celia in, she's 11, she was like, Mom, do you believe in fairies? And I was like, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> you know, she's at a Waldorf school. And I was like, I don't believe in like the fairies that the Waldorf school <laughs> Like, yeah. believes in, but people have experiences, and I was having a really hard time trying to like articulate to her what I was trying to say. But it's basically what what you just said. So I might force her to listen to this because she's <laughs> not at all interested in listening to my podcast. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, she she can always give me a call. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. So another thing I wanted to ask you about that you mentioned was you said that you experienced a spontaneous healing at a Joanna Newsom concert. And as a fellow mega Joanna fan of yours, um, I can only imagine. And I would, I would love to hear what happened. Yeah. Um, again, connected to the same story, just mm -hmm. further down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, goodness. Well, uh, so, Listening to Joanna's music for me in particular um, always connects me to childhood, and I had a really good childhood. Um, we grew up playing music together, and I uh, had like a little band, <laughs> twelve or like started playing music together at like, eight years old, or something like that. Um, and she was always playing harp from a very young age, and I was playing flute and piano, and um, 
so her music is obviously just incredibly inspiring on many, many levels. And um, I've, well, you know, had a lot of lucky experiences in my life uh, and really been blessed by that friendship. Um, but in this particular instance, I was just at a show and I, I was listening and can't even remember what song it was. Um, it, it don't, I don't think it had anything to do with the lyrics. Um, it, her music is always very heart opening for me. And so, and, and she does write, there are a couple songs that really touch the nerves that I have around um, desiring a child. She is a, a baby Birch in particular. Yeah, I yeah. think about you every time I hear that song, or especially because yeah. you, you and I were really hanging out a lot when that album came out. And yeah. um, we had that night of drinking wine and listening to that <laughs> whole record on vinyl and like crying, clutching each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that song in particular, that one and Cos- Cosmia. Um, so it might have been one of those two. Um, and out of nowhere, like wasn't thinking about any of this, but out of nowhere, I had... Um, I felt like I was pierced with light. Like I felt this cold rush of energy come down straight through my head into the back of my heart and my like oh, my whole body was shaking. I couldn't um it was very awkward because I was I had like a guest ticket and I was by people I didn't know. <laughs> like um so I was like trying to contain it when it, like your whole body shaking and you're trying to stay very still. Mm-hmm. And I felt it was like this blue white light and I felt I felt this the, the best way I can describe it is um the piece of me that left when I miscarried mm-hmm. that like checked out of my body came back in. Mm-hmm. Um and it was and and it was the first time I had fully felt Rowan that spirit come back, mm-hmm. and she was with me for like a week, and then she left, and I knew that our arc was complete, like that was the end for us, and I suddenly knew that I was able to have a child again. Like up until that point, I just the some part of me was like, it's just never going to happen. And I, in that moment, I knew without a doubt that I would be a mother. And um, it was like be- receiving a piece of myself back and also being let go at the same time and like permission mm-hmm. to be a mother. It was a very um, physical experience. I, you know, I've done all sorts of like massages and healings and things like that in my life. And I've never experienced something like that. Like, whoa, I'm shaking and I can feel, quote unquote, light moving down my spine into my heart and filling up the back of my heart. Mm. Like, whoa. <laughs> um, and it was just, it, 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 I really believe that it was brought on something about the music. I don't know what, but my, wherever I was at in myself, I was able to access that um, without seeking it. And I feel really grateful because... I feel much more confident about that possibility in my life now than I used to. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. I know it's I know what you still want and I want that for you too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, I think we're going to close. Do you have anything else to add to any of these beautiful medicine stories? Um 
Actually, I have a question. Yeah. This is what I'd be wondering if I were listening to this right now. If you do conceive and have a daughter, would you name her Rowan? Or do you feel like that is, like you said, complete? I can't answer that until I conceive and have a child. Mm -hmm. But um, because I, I really believe that children, as, as, I, as I did, I'd believe to a degree that they name themselves. Uh -huh. uh, and so I would want to stay open to what that energy wants. Um, also, well, yeah, um, the answer is no, that's not my plan. I'm not holding that name anymore. I've let that go. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really open to another completely new uh, presence that wants to come in. Um, I don't feel like I'm reserving some space in my womb for that particular spirit. Um, so no, but but the tree is such a beautiful tree, and I still love it, and still feel a strong kinship to it. And yeah, like, I think my whole life has been led by listening to the animals and the plants. And you know, if you can't, for instance, follow your roots back to England or Portugal or wherever, you know, whatever part of the world, you can still access some of that deep embodied wisdom through, I believe, through story, through music, and through just being out on the earth, you know, going, going and finding the, the trees of this land that speak to you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, different landscape, maybe different plants and animals, but same practice, same earth, same mm -hmm. human heart. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more as a mother of two that you, you don't know who that person is. <laughs> you get mm -hmm. little glimpses throughout the pregnancy for sure. And then so much more after they're born. And I really um, waited until both my girls were born to know what their names were. And it felt, it felt very right to do it that way. Um, so I would invite you to tell us where online people can find you. You have a lot of things you're doing and some beautiful offerings, uh, ways that people can connect with you. So please tell our listeners how they can find Ari. Yeah. So you can find my website through Honey Bee Wild. That's my, that's my business name, Honey Bee Wild. And I do... Uh, Semi-regular DreamWork classes through Honey through that site. You can find out about it. Um, Their teleclasses. I just started one last night on the Dark Moon with a new group of women. It's so fun. Um, and I also offer. Uh, I'm starting launching this year my first women's beekeeping apprenticeship, kind of combining shamanic techniques and natural beekeeping. Uh, that starts in February here in Sebastopol. I'm really excited to be starting with my first um, workshop overseas. I'm teaching a workshop in France with a bee sister of mine, and we're working with the feminine, feminine principles, and with um, black mirrors as an old European practice of uh, working with intuition and oracular um, Pythia knowledge, the old Melissa knowledge and ways of seeing. You can also find me at beekeeping in skirts on Instagram, um, which is such a great place to connect with people. So that's, that's me. 
if yeah. you ever want to hear a song, I have music too. <laughs> just oh, look yeah. me up. <laughs> I just found your um, your album in my iTunes like a month yeah. ago and listened to it. And I was like, oh, I remember yeah. this. <laughs> I know. What I wouldn't give to be able to make another one. One of these days would be so nice. Oh, yeah. please do. Um, so we are going to end this, but then you and I are going to record something extra for my Patreon patrons at the $2 and up level. And I'm going to ask you more about, um, like your dream practice and dream work because you are a seasoned dream worker. I have loved running my dreams by you and really value your insight into that, into that area. So anyone who's interested in hearing that conversation, you can go to medicine stories, I mean, patreon.com slash medicine stories um, to access it for two bucks a month. Yay, everyone wins. Thank you for doing that, Ari. And thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, you're welcome. It's just, it's really nice. I kind of forget that I'm on a podcast because I'm just talking to an old friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and you know, thank you. And thank you for asking me hard questions because you were there and you witnessed me go through um, discovering bees and losing a child and everything in between. So thank you for your, your presence throughout the years and the friendship. Oh yeah. Thank you, Ari. I'm so glad that we're still hanging out and talking, even though we hardly ever get to see each other anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, Handmade Herbal Medicines, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, be sure to click the black banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, Which Magical Herb is Your Spirit Plant? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. Um, there's some cool rewards there, like exclusive content, free access to my herbal ebook and online course, and the ability to chat with me. I am a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding another project into my life with this podcast is a questionable move, but I'm also so excited about it and just praying that the Patreon will allow me the financial wiggle room to keep doing it. Another way that you can support if that's not an option is to head over to iTunes and subscribe and review the podcast. That would be super helpful. Thank you. And thank you to Marie Sue for providing the music that I use. That's Marie with two E's, S-I-O-U-X. This is from her song, Wild Eyes, one of my favorites. Uh, Check out Marie Sue. Beautiful music. Thank you, and I look forward to next time. Bye.